Designers are very good at thinking outside the box, at looking at the bigger picture, uh, communicating ideas and, and possibilities. And I think you can only evolve by building scenarios. And well, designers, they have these amazing skills of visualization, of communication of ideas, of materializing possibilities that I think scientists are not able to. So I think, you know, I really believe that, you know, designers are very good at that. But at the same time, they really need science in order to make these dreams possible, you know, make these ideas and visions and visions possible. So it's really collaborative. It's a collaborative effort. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I talk with Nancy Denise, who is establishing the world's first biodesign education program in London. Considering the current global discourse on sustainability, global warming and circular economy, I think it's worthwhile to find out how design can contribute to these global efforts, conversations and challenges. Nancy shares how design and science, and specifically design and biology, can drive change by working together and opens up a new space for designers to collaborate that I'm sure is not on the radar of many people in the design community. Enjoy. Hi Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Hi Sebastian, thank you for inviting me. So uh, we are really glad to have you. Um, you're really pushing biodesign uh, forward and we want to talk a little bit about that, the intersection between design and uh, biology. Uh, but maybe to give the audience a little bit of context where you come from and where you have been. So maybe you can tell, maybe in simple words, your, your journey. Yes. So I, I am Portuguese. I, I'm, I have a, an architecture background, so I studied architecture in, in Lisbon, in Portugal. And then when I finished my professional degree, I started uh, working in a research lab. Uh, it was actually Autodesk uh, lab that luckily, um, for some coincidence, um, I'm, it was connected with some architecture firms. And then I started doing research in augmented reality and I became very interested in technology and merging new technologies with architecture at the moment. At that time, we were using augmented reality as a conceptual tool. So how could we start conceptualizing, mm -hmm. um, you know, geometries in architecture in augmented reality as a kind of conceptualizing tool? So it was I became very interested in that. And then I... Which, which, uh, which, uh, which technology was it for augmented reality? How did, you, how did you use it back then? So at the time, we used this uh, toolkit, which is called the AR toolkit, which is very cumbersome. We had these uh, markers. I mean, it was very difficult to calibrate. You can imagine this was in uh -huh. 2002. The technology was very complicated to use. I mean, we didn't have these headsets that we have today. Yeah. High res was very complicated. It was very much based on coding. So I was working in this... Uh, team with no architects, just with computer scientists, but it was very excited. And th and then I I thought you know uh, of course in Portugal I'm not I'm, I mean in terms of practice I mean there were no offices working with these technologies. I decided to come to London to the Bartlett, and do a master's in uh, virtual environments. So I became very mm -hmm. interested in in technology and then continuing with with my PhD in interactive design in this idea of real time materiality, a lot of sensors and how can we start um, 
making real architecture react in real time, responsive surfaces, responsive materials. So I mm -hmm. became very interested in, in computational design and I started teaching computational design. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I started teaching in London in different architectural schools. I went to Canterbury Architecture School and then I, I became director of this program in Hertfordshire University in interior architecture design. So yeah, and then I went to China and then to, and to the US after, and then now I'm back in London. So I've been, in, um, I've been kind of like jumping around, <laughs> uh -huh. um, which I think, um, I mean, I like to think it really helped me in terms of uh, as an educator to have this perspective of, of a global kind of perspective of, of the world. And, you know, I love to travel and I love to see the world. And I think it's very important as an architect to go and see the world and live in different places, in different climates, different cultures. So I think I like to mm -hmm. think that it really, I mean, it, it helps me to teach, I think. And, and, and the world is global and it's, I think, and diverse. So I like to think that kind of this really helped me to see the world in a different way, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's super important to get these outside perspectives. And uh, what did you do in China and the US? Was it for education as well? Or? Yeah, so I was, um, I was in, in Hertfordshire. I mean, I was not doing any research. I mean, I was mostly teaching. And mm -hmm. so I became a little bit uh, antsy. I really wanted to do more research. So I went to China to to found and the first English thought program in China, which is a, a, a joint venture between the University of Liverpool and, and a Chinese university. So mm -hmm. it was called Xiang Zhao Tong Liverpool University. And it was mm -hmm. a very, very interesting experience. We founded the first English thought program. In three years, we were validated by RIBA, which is the Royal Institute of British Architects that gives validation to programs. And so it was a very rich, experience i met incredible people i mean we had a very interesting uh, department with foreigners from all over the world and it's very nice to see actually now they've grew the department grew a lot i mean they are doing amazing things but i was again not doing i i felt very isolated in terms of research at that time so that's why i applied to the us and joined this uh, really interesting research center which was called case which is the center for architecture science and ecology Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting because it was, um, it was a, a, a program hosted by a, a, one of the biggest architecture firms in the world, SOM. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was an opportunity to re really uh, real projects with an architectural firm and getting uh, a lot of uh, industry partners. So it was a, a great model. And it was, this was a research center from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so it was interesting. So I stayed there for four years and then I became very interested in biodesign. So that's why I came back to London again, because this program, I mean, is the first one in the world. I mean, there are other programs that are similar, but this one is the first one in biodesign. Mm -hmm. So that's why I came back. I mean, London, it feels like home, actually, because I lived here for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I really like London as well. Mm -hmm. Did you start it immediately when you were coming back to the UK? The new program, the biodesign program. Yeah. So I, actually, my colleague Carol, Carol uh, Colette. I mean, she was she's one of the uh, one of the people that really started these programs at Santos San Martin. I mean, she founded the textile futures. Mm -hmm. Then the textile futures became material futures, and she founded the biodesign program. Um, in terms of writing the program, and now she's going to be actively teaching it as well. Uh, but she didn't really want to be the course that leader, so they they opened this position. She has, she's also very busy. Mm -hmm. She's the director of the 
uh, design systems lab and the Maison Zero, Zero lab, which is an incubator at Central St. Martin. So she's very busy with these two programs. So, but she's going to be very involved in the biodesign masters as well. So Central St. Martin's has been mm-hmm. a, a pioneer in terms of, of sustainable education. Mm-hmm. So you were mentioning you 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 were setting up the the biodesign program. So I think now it's good, important for the audience to get a little bit of the idea what it is exactly, what's yes. the setup, and uh, what are you trying yes. to achieve. So the biodesign program emerges from these other programs that were set up in at Central Saint Martins and other programs that deal with sustainable design. And we thought it was the moment to have a program focused um, mainly in biodesign uh, practices. So it's, uh, and, and we believe that in order to tackle contemporary challenges like, you know, for, you know, climate change, but natural resources depletion, you know, low energy manufacturing, etc. you need to integrate other skills into traditional design uh, courses. So mm-hmm. we thought that this integration of biology and design skills, equal, equal, equal integration is something that we think it's necessary so we think there's a lot of demand uh, in industry for designers to have these skills, to understand biology protocols, and how can you start integrating these as part of the, of the traditional skills? Because design and computation has been around. You know, we integrate computation, mm-hmm. not just to 3D model and simulate, but also, you know, to make things. But so this has been around for many years, computation, but not biology. So sustainable programs have been around for a while, but they don't, they don't have wet labs, they don't have biologists teaching design students. So we feel like, you know, this, is, this integration is really important. Mm-hmm. So this is the premise of the program. How can we integrate uh, living systems within uh, the design process? How, how can we start designing with living systems? How can we start designing with living systems, for example, to grow materials? For example, mm-hmm. I think what was also very interesting when we were chatting before um, the recording was that um, it you you specifically um, uh, restricted to designers, right? So not 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 a completely open uh, scope. Yes. So this is uh, what we are planning at the moment. It doesn't mean that in the future we can open it to scientists and engineers. But this is a de- uh, design degree. We really want to design um, proposals, projects, services, products, uh, systems. So we, we really need the design background to do it because they have to, to do their own individual project. And it will be very difficult for an engineer or a scientist to develop their own design project on, the, on their own. So at the moment, it's, uh, mm-hmm. we are only accepting design. This is a design degree. It's completely practical. It's not theoretical. It's a completely hands-on program. They, and, it, and you have to be a designer. And we are not teaching how to be a designer. Mm-hmm. We want designers that you know, can hit the ground running with these new skills and, mm-hmm. and create sustainable design solutions mm-hmm. yeah. building on top of already existing uh, design skills basically yeah. right so so you can be a fashion designer you can be a product industrial designer you can be an architect you can be a textile designer so you have your own skills and you're going to build mm. on these skills with these new um, biological kind of uh, skills that you don't have in a traditional design degree so how can you start thinking mm-hmm. how can you start working in a lab how can you start which is you know 
it's different. It's very different. Mm-hmm. So how is the setup? You said it's very um, project based, but I assume there's also a lot of knowledge um, students need to gain upfront yes. to, um, I think, work in this new direction. So yes, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. So the degree is two years, and in the first year. Uh, we have a unit where we are going to teach students how to work with different living systems. So the, the students are in school two and a half days of the week and one day of the week it's spent on the lab, just learning biology mm-hmm. protocols with the biologists. So we have a biologist in the team. So it's an interdisciplinary team of designers and, and, bio, and one biology and also a, a lab technician who is also a biologist. So the students spend, mm-hmm. I would say, 50-50 between the lab and the design studio and the computation lab uh, uh, studio as well. So this integration of traditional design craft, computational design and biology. So it's kind of a very important, com- I mean, I would say in th- three equal parts, I would say craft, computational mm-hmm. skills and biological uh, skills as well. Mm-hmm. You were mentioning living system, the term living yes. systems quite often. Can yes. you maybe explain yes. this a bit more? So we are planning at the moment what kind of living systems we can use. So we are thinking uh, the, the common theme for the first year, I mean, every year will change. We are at the moment negotiating with some industry partners. So every year the mm-hmm. agenda, the pedagogical agenda will change according to the partners and industry partners we will get. There's a lot of inter- interest from f- certain industry partners to team up with us. We already have uh, collaboration with in the Netherlands with the school. We're going to exhibit to work with them. So there's going to be some collaboration with other institutions, but also industry partners. And for the f- next year, we are thinking about focusing on bioremediation. This idea that, you know, we can clean water, we can clean soil, we can clean uh, uh, air with, uh, with working with, bio, with, with living systems. So I'm going to give you some examples that you probably have heard. So, for example, mushrooms, mycelium is something that uh, it's being used quite a lot to create new biopolymers. You can grow a lot of things with mycelium. So, for example, mm-hmm. mycelium can clean the soil can bioremediate soil. For example, mm-hmm. think about mm-hmm. uh, soil that is very polluted through with oil, for example. Mycelium can actually clean, uh, clean soil. So mycelium can also uh, be used for uh, binding uh, waste. So you can recycle mm-hmm. waste and then you can grow the mycelium and, and the mycelium can aggregate the waste and create materials like, for example, bricks. Mm-hmm. So we, can, we are thinking we are going to work with mycelium, we are going to work with algae. Algae, you know, it's super versatile. You can make myceliums out of algae. You can bioremediate water. You can create biomass with algae. So algae is another living system we are going to work with. And then we are going to work with bacteria. Bacteria, you can do a lot of different things with bacteria. For example, you can also, for example, bioengineer bacteria to do different kinds of bioremediation. Mm-hmm. So we are thinking about working with these three living systems in the first year to give you an idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's imagine like there's a, a student coming from a product design background. And um, I, I did a, a project on vertical farming yes. a couple of years ago. And uh, for example, there's aerophonics, uh, hydrophonics. 
these projects could yeah. there be also for example imagining a service how to interact with these new possibilities or new technologies oh, or absolutely. is it more in terms of taking these materials and um, um, getting them into a new product no Do you know what i mean are, like yeah, what could yeah. be the, the, out, the outcomes yes absolutely i mean the students can really develop uh, for example a, a business around vertical farming you know There's mm -hmm. a lot of interest in developing this. I mean, there's a lot of startups that are doing this. Uh, grow your mm -hmm. own food, for example. You know, you can do, you can really start creating these services and, and businesses around uh, urban farming. Um, how you can actually create the future of agriculture. How can you start rethinking the future of agriculture? Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that you can also grow stuff with no soil, with no unnatural mm -hmm. lights, you know, these systems are very much in the everybody's agenda. I mean, even now at the at the um, at the Chelsea Flower Show in London, there was a garden uh, uh, supported by IKEA and Tom Dick Dixon, and they were mm -hmm. exactly uh, the project was about the, the the future of gardening, the future of you know. Uh, yeah. agriculture and now you can start growing things with artificial lights with no soil so yeah. definitely green walls green walls was something that was very much uh, explored at the research center where I worked uh, was a big thing how can green walls can purify air and how they were doing a lot of experiments with people getting them in a room with the green wall measuring biometrics measuring Uh, CO2 levels and trying to really come up with uh, quantitative data to prove that this actually works. So, yeah, definitely something we are mm -hmm. interested in. And we have a garden, by the way. We are building a garden at Central St. Martins. We have a garden at the terrace and there's a lot of other people uh, outside of biodesign. They are doing research with plants, actually using plants to create textiles, sustainable textiles, etc. So we have a garden in the rooftop Uh, so for, yeah, it's very connected for prototyping and leisure. Yes, ex exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So I just was wondering how it is intersecting with other design disciplines, but you sort of were answering it like you know, for example, how is bio uh, design connecting to, for example, service design? How does it connect to you know even things like? Uh, how does it connect to user interfaces and how does it connect to architecture you're mentioning quite often yes uh, that makes a lot of sense or you know can it be product design as well like i think these you can take it in many directions so i was just wondering about you know, fashion design is another example uh, you can take Absolutely. it into many directions i assume we have a lot of interest from product designers industrial designers and fashion of course fashion yeah i assume fashion a lot because yeah. i mean talking about uh, impact i assume fashion is one of the major drivers Yes. Why do you think it took so long until a program came up with, with that kind of setup? Yeah. Because, I mean, other, I think in other industries, for example, you know, engineering, um, you know, business programs, so on, it's, yeah. it's, it's more common since a longer while, but um, there are not many, so many design programs and there hasn't been any about the intersection of design and biology. Yes. Uh, well, some programs have it uh, as a kind of, uh, you know, courses, they have pathways. Exactly. So there is a lot of, I mean, sustainable in sustainability has been around for a long time and, 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 and definitely design 
education as in general really touches upon and they all have courses i mean architecture you always have sustainability courses but it's mostly theoretical you know it's materials it's how do you build sustainable it's around energy and performance you know so there's always the the mm -hmm. perspective how you can save energy so you have to be sustainable uh The reason why I think it's taken so long is the nature of education, to be honest. It's very traditional in many, in many countries. It's, it's in silos. It's not interdisciplinary at all. For example, architecture, it's, it's, it's a very complicated uh, degree because, uh, because of a professional accreditation. So schools have these very strict um, um, learning outcomes in order to fulfill them towards professional accreditation. So they cannot really be very experimental mm -hmm. in terms of curriculum development. So this is one reason, I think. It's the nature of professional accreditation. And mm -hmm. in engineer, I think that's the same problem, which, uh, which is the, the, the reason why I really like to step now uh, away from architecture degrees because it allows you to be more experimental. Also at a master's level, you, you can be more free, you can be more ex experimental. But what I think is the main reason, honestly, is the moment we are living with all this, uh, we are mm -hmm. living this moment where there is a, this urgency to tackle this kind of environmental crisis, I think, and this kind of biodiversity loss. Mm -hmm. So uh, climate change has been around for many, many years, but people really didn't believe in it. There was no data. I mean, it's very difficult to prove, you know, climate is very dynamic. Mm -hmm. There was no data to back this. So finally, well, unfortunately now it's kind of real. It's real. It's not kind. It's real. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult for yeah. governments to kind of deny it. And, and because you see it and you see the really depressing, you know, uh, outcome every day in our lives. So I really think this is the moment. I mean, you mentioned the Cooper Hewitt Museum in New York, but you see uh, all these museums now today. Vienna also has another exhibition. I just saw it online. But the Milano Triennale, there was an exhibition of broken nature. There was at the Pompidou, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the living factory. I mean, at the moment, there's these four institutions that have exhibitions on biology and design. I mean, it's no coincidence why, mm -hmm. why everybody's talking about it. And, uh, you know, politics, I mean, politicians, you see the European elections, the Green Party, you know, suddenly got more votes. And I think this is no coincidence. coincidence. So I think there is a demand for it in terms of design industries. Mm -hmm. So all over the world, these programs are becoming kind of more mainstream, I think. They will become something mm -hmm. that, I mean, and another thing is... Um, It's facilities. I mean, having a wet lab is not something you find in an architecture school, you know. You have to invest mm -hmm. on this in these facilities. So, I mean, it's a new way of designing and it's very, it's a very important. And, and, um, and I think it's finally, <laughs> finally schools have realized that you need to really teach these skills. Biology is very important. And, um, but it has to be integrated mm -hmm. in design. I mean, biologists, they cannot integrate these things into design solutions that's that's why it's so exciting to put these people working together you know biologists they are very good mm -hmm. at you know doing the experiments and everything but they cannot apply them into design solutions mm -hmm. so that's Got it. why it's so exciting this teamwork yeah i assume there will be more programs yeah. popping up in the in the coming years 
how do you, how how do you see the connection you know you talked a lot about sustainability but maybe talking about circular economy as well um how do you see disconnecting to the the program and uh, so the again there's a lot of talk about recycling this idea that we don't need to actually create matter so much we can recycle matter so this idea that we can reuse things mm -hmm. over and over again and things can actually go back to nature so there's a lot of projects that deal with this. How can we work? How can we make from waste? And then how can waste then go back to, to, to nature? So there is a lot of projects that deal with uh, recycling uh, agriculture waste, for example, all the things that agriculture produces. If you think about corn, if you think about wheat, if you think about uh, coconut, if you think about all these things that really leave a lot of waste behind because of the industry, And how can we really reuse these mm -hmm. for materials, for uh, making things, not just architectural materials, but for producing, for example, products, furniture, textiles. Mm -hmm. So there is this, you know, this idea of bio, of circular design. How can design, how can we stop making so many new materials that are so uh, so toxic towards the environment if you think about textiles it's it's um, it's unbelievably harmful towards the the, the environment and the dying industry of textiles but also if you think about materials in architecture i mean the all the waste we create by creating the steel structure the steel industry you know even concrete all the all these materials I mean, I'm not even thinking about marble and all these noble materials that completely, uh, I mean, timber, think about timber, for example, and, and the depletion of forests mm -hmm. and, 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 and all this negative impact on the environment. So there is a lot of interest on developing green materials and not have such a negative impact in terms of embodied energy, you know, embodied energy is the total energy that costs to create products. If you think about embodied energy of any product, it's the people that are working there, materials where it comes from, transportation costs, energy costs. So how can we start offsetting all this environmental impact, footprint, carbon footprints? So this is something that, you know, Naturally, architects do, but they don't really have the knowledge then to create these kind of products because the education of architecture is just so broad and you need to study so many different things. You don't, have, you don't actually have time to prototype new materials. Yeah, exactly. So you don't have really, really time for that. I think, um, and I think a program like this helps. Uh, I think another topic that's really interesting is the topic about behavioral design. Because I think also some of the things I learned during my time in New York is that, you know, very often people are looking for these big things to really make an impact, okay. while the habits, the daily habits, the small details, they add, they add up over time. And by changing them, uh, you can have as much impact as changing, doing the big thing uh, that people always crave for. Um, so I think that's also very interesting. So I, I, get, I assume this this is um, also something to think about. If you, you know, even thinking about architecture, right? How does the, the how does the um, experience within the the solution um, sort of uh, create a certain habit or create certain behavior? Uh, same with a product or service. Um, does it make you reflect about your behavior, for example? Okay, how can you make people reflect about what they are doing? 
because I think that's always a good way to make people change, right? If you t tell them to do things, then it's always sure. hard. But if they reflect for themselves, um, so there's also I think this side uh, besides uh, obviously this whole topic about materials and innovation about. Um, new processes but then i think also about um, experience basically that's between the potential user and the solution yes that's a very good point and it's it's i think it's difficult to really make people ch change it's very their difficult. habits and uh, yeah and this this whole consumerism and um, and, and the people really want to have a comfortable life and Sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult to change these habits. Hmm. You, you were mentioning generative design. Can you tell a little bit yes. about the programs yes. you're using for that? Yeah, so, so of, of course, being an architect, I'm, I'm very much uh, <laughs> coming from um, the skills of an architecture. Um, in an architecture, we are very good in terms of um, 3D modeling. So in terms of mm -hmm. simulating... Um, form so there's an element of form finding right that it's important mm -hmm. that in this case is going to be very much um, uh, generated from the behavior of living systems the behavior of nature so there is this element of biomimicry biomimesis which is something that sometimes is very misunderstood they think it's about copying you know nature forms and But uh, it, it's actually not that. It's actually understanding that there are very intelligent behaviors in nature and, 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 and in animals that we can really learn from. Mm -hmm. For example, the ants, they do these amazing termite formations where ventilation is fascinating. So the ants really understand ventilation and, and they build these amazing structures, for example. So this is an example of where biomimicry is a great example to develop you know, mm -hmm. a ventilation yeah, system. But it's not just about, you know, mm. mimicking natural patterns. It's not about that at all. It's going beyond that very much. So, you know, we are going to use a lot of software to model a form that it's performative, that it's uh, efficient in terms of material, uh, the amount of materials you're going to use, that it's going to be efficient in terms of Uh, any kind of criteria that is set up. So you're going to model it in Rhino, probably, Rhino software or a CAD software. Or, and then you are going mm -hmm. to use Grasshopper, which is a plugin for Rhino, mm -hmm. to do parametric design because you can really generate a lot of scenarios very easily. If you use Grasshopper, you can start simulating many things. You can start simulating physics. You can start simulating light. You can start simulating... Um, Different kinds of you can even start simulating living systems with plugins from Rhino, for example, slime mold. I mean, we've done that, I've done that in my practice. We simulate living systems with these plugins for Rhino, and then we use this to simulate uh, design proposals, and then we use digital fabrication to materialize it. So, hopefully, we can mm -hmm. use digital fabrication to create molds, but we can also use digital fabrication. Um, we can also use, for example, 3D printing. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, we can also start thinking about printing biological matter, for example. Yeah. 
So we can start making things with biology matter, biological matter. So that's quite exciting. So biology itself is not just about learning how they behave and learning to harness, for example, mycelium. You can also start thinking about 3D printing mycelium. So there is Mm -hmm. a lot of exciting new technologies with 3D printing that we hopefully are going to use. But it doesn't doesn't mean that all students have to be, you know, they have to be masters in computational skills they can also be very analog think about i mean some of our students are going to be very talented in terms of craft in terms of doing things with their hands imagine textile these students they can really start knitting textiles made of uh, of algae for example or algae mm-hmm. yeah so there's going to be a balance between you know computation and, and craft which is something that it's very strong at central st martin's Mm-hmm. And with biology, so I think it's going to be an interesting mix. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's a lot of yeah things to learn. I think and to explore on the the, the physical side, like you were saying. I'm just wondering, maybe as a last question about uh, the biodesign program, a big topic is also finding the right applications, yes. right? Finding the right uh, the yes. the right spot, basically. Um, so I was just wondering a little bit about the process yes. of getting there to getting uh, maybe the step before the uh, jumping into the craft, like using some uh, some design methodologies, for example, innovation methodologies to come up with, for example, the right user need or the the right problem to tackle. Yeah. Is that also something you look into or how, how would students basically find the, the focus? Right? Yes, yes, that's really important. <laughs> that's a really important point. And I think, you know, in every master's and PhD a degree that's a very difficult thing to do how you're going to focus on and kind of narrow into a, a realistic topic that you can manage especially in a master's that you don't have much time so i think there is a bit of entrepreneurship that we are going to instill in our students uh, i mean myself i'm part of a startup so this thing about knowing the market knowing the user uh, really understanding who are you are designing for it's crucial Uh, we believe, so mm-hmm. we really need to understand who is going to be our user, uh, who is going to be the people that are actually interested in what we are doing, uh, what is the, in a way, what is the market for this. So I think, I mean, the, I believe that more and more entrepreneurship is going to be part of all the educational programs. And we believe that it's going to be a little bit of an incubation of new future mm-hmm. design projects, future products and services. So we believe mm-hmm. the program can really catapult a new generation of bio designers that will be very mm-hmm. successful. And of course, you know, of course, in terms of career paths, they can really work in as an environmental consultant, working with scientists and designers, but they can also start, you know, creating their own project and their, their own, their own uh, products. Or you can just go back. We really believe, I think I told you this before, but we really believe that if you are an architect or if you are a product designer, after this degree, you go back into your practice and you are still an architect, but you have an enhanced and augmented set of skills that you can use to tackle new challenges. So you mm-hmm. can go back to your studio, you can go back to your company and, and, and do things in a, in, a, in a different way. In a new way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a new way. Makes sense. Super interesting. You also run Biometas. Maybe you yeah. can give a little bit context about the, the work you're doing there. So, yeah. So, Biometas uh, is a startup company that I, I am um, I'm running with my partner. So, we run this uh, little studio in New York City. And we started this new 
the company that is just mm-hmm. focusing on material biomaterials and we are using uh, these uh, we have been developing this new material ourselves so we grow mycelium ourselves and we've been mixing it with a bunch of different uh, waste products and we have been developing this new kind of material uh, and we we've been doing acoustic mm-hmm. panels mostly and just other part, uh, uh, objects just to prototype the material in itself. So we are doing a lot of experiments with bioprinting, uh, this waste and growing the mycelium on it. And so the idea is to have a material that you don't need to fire, you don't need energy to produce it. It just grows on its own. And you can actually have highly performative materials in, mm-hmm. the, in the case of the acoustic panels, for example, they can really, I mean, they work quite well. Of course, we need to do a lot of testing. So we are part of this uh, incubator in New York called FutureWorks. Uh, we are going to present our project, the last pitch in August to investors. Hopefully we can raise mm-hmm. a Kickstarter campaign at the end of the year, until the end of the year. And hopefully we can really um, start, you know, mm-hmm having a team and, and, and hire people to help us to get it to another scale because at the moment it's two of us making things on our own. How can we start making more more products, you know, taking this to another scale that it can be, a, you know, a product. Mm-hmm. You said it's acoustic panels. Yes. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about the, the, um, the product you're working on. So the, it's just tiles. So it's like a tile system of 10 by 10 inches. And they are, we are working with different kinds of um, uh, uh, relief and geometries to see which ones are the most effective in terms of reflecting sound and absorbing sound. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so at the moment we are just, we have a, a lot of different iterations of these uh, patterns that we are developing. And um, generative design, yes. I assume. So we are just hopefully, um, it's very difficult to do a simulation of sound and to actually simulate how efficient they are. So we are hoping to get uh, mm-hmm. someone from the acoustics department. We are at the moment contacting a few schools that can help us because it has to be an engineer to calculate, have these calculations made. I mean, uh, designers do not know how to do this. <laughs> 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 so yeah. we are going to test these, these panels mm-hmm. uh, to make them, you know, to convince people that they, they actually work. At the moment, we are having this whole wall made out of them. Mm-hmm. So we are manufacturing these panels in, to fit this big wall this, uh, in a room so we can properly test them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you need... Um, yeah, designers can't do everything, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Is there a website or um, an online link where people yeah. can, can find it? Yeah, yeah. We have... Uh, it's it's uh, one of the links that from our website, Augmented Architecture. There is mm-hmm. one link that it's called uh, Biomatters. And mm-hmm. we have this, uh, it's actually two projects. There is one Biomatters and another one, which is Somico, which is the acoustic panels. I can send mm-hmm. you the links. Mm-hmm. But if you go to our website, augmentedarchitectures.com, you will see, you'll see the links. Mm-hmm. We're going to put it into the description. You were mentioning the term augmented architecture. I think that's a very interesting term. I, I came across the first time when, uh, when researching a little bit about uh, you and your work. Maybe you can tell a little bit about what do you mean with augmented architecture, yes. about this term. So this was a long time ago that I came up with that name in 2004. 
four, I think, when I, I was think in it's really PhD. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like inspired by this idea of architecture being augmented with um, real time properties. How can architecture uh, react in real time? So this uh, augmentation. How can we start embedding, for example, some intelligence? in architecture, mm-hmm. how can uh, architecture can sense, which is a very old kind of concept. If you think about it, it started in the, in the 1960s at the AA, all the cyberneticians started um, uh, coming up with this idea of how can architecture be responsive, uh, can have these responsive properties, how can architecture can sense, how can architecture can react to stimuli. So the whole uh, practice started with this idea very much based on this ideas from the six from the sixties and seventies, interactive architecture. So how can we augment, you know, static traditional architecture with these layers mm-hmm. of intelligence, whether it's um, you know, artificial intelligence, but mostly computational actuators and sensors, mm-hmm. how can architecture react to light, to sound, to movement, to people? Etc. So that's how it all started, and now it's moving into bio biotechnology, which I think it's the future, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But then I would, but I think you know, computation has been around artificial intelligence, but artificial life, you know, is it, I think it's something very exciting. How can we start um, replicating living systems, right? Which is something that is we've been trying for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I think finally, I think biotechnology, I think can really play a role on that. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering a little bit about your perspective on the uniqueness of what designers and design can contribute to the whole topic of um, you know sustainability, biodesign, circular economy. Um, because I know there's, I guess there are many other sites that also contribute. For example, I, I assume there are a lot of innovations and a lot of impact can come from material science and chemistry. And I assume that's a, a major collaboration yes. partner for you. But and that's more of a technical enabler, right? But now it's the question: like, how do you apply it? How do you um, uh, implement it? And maybe we can talk a little bit. I think I was I would be interested in your perspective on the unique uh, contribution designers and design yeah, can make. I think, for example, where I was working, PhD students they always worked alongside scientists. There was um, a a very deep collaboration between design and science. Mm-hmm. engineering for example computational but I, I we mentioned computational a lot but because of all the data visualization the importance of big data blah 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 that everybody's talking about i mean data is super important uh, but we also like you said chemistry um even mechanical engineer electronical engineer i mean these are really exciting and necessary uh, fields think about neuroscience For example, super mm-hmm. interesting to connect with uh, cognitive scientists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everything is very interesting, and I think more and more design will be and science will be working together. So this idea, which is very difficult because we are still very different people, scientists and designers, we think in different ways. It's very difficult to work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, <laughs> uh, it's a big struggle. You made your experiences. Yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> I have. I mean, it's very hard, but it's also very beautiful when it works. I think it depends on personality. Mm-hmm. To be honest, sometimes you find 
scientists and, and their personality really match with designers. Sometimes it's the designers that are like more scientists than, than scientists. I mean, so it really depends. You have really uh, artistic scientists and sometimes you have these designers that are completely an engineer, I mean, in their minds and in their soul and the way they think. So it's difficult. It's difficult to think. I think it's difficult because it's the nature of of um, of the industry as well, how we apply these things and how do we have to work. Scientists think designers are very generous with their time. I think designers, uh, I think in my opinion, design is very undervalued, underpaid still. Mm-hmm. We are very generous. We like to dream. We like to really specula- speculate. Scientists, they don't have so much time. They are very organized with their time. So it's difficult for us to really work together, I think. Um, so, but then sometimes you really get along and the personality is really, everything coalesces and, 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 and it works and, it, and it's the only way to actually make it work is when you have these two worlds coming together mm-hmm. and, and, and really be creative and, and, and solve problems with these two different, in the, within these two different worlds. So I really think that that's why I believe that biodesign is such an interesting format because it really allows you to understand these two worlds because it's very different to work with living systems. You know, to be biology never really works sometimes the way you expect it. Things don't grow the way you think, things fail many times, and designers are not used to that. You know, hmm. designers are used to working with, uh, you know, uh, things that are not living. So it's kind of like it's easier to kind of like predict the failure, I think. So it's different, I think it's different worlds. And I think people more and more have to really be hybrid. They have to really be, they have to be hybrid in different kinds of skills. And, uh, and they have to, actually, you have to learn how to talk with the scientist and vice versa. And vice scientist needs to learn how to talk with the designer. So the, you need to actually develop skills in terms of communication, in terms of understanding exactly what is possible or not. Mm-hmm. Because... Sometimes something that really happens to me, scientists become very frustrated. Sometimes I just ask for impossible things that are not really possible. So I think it's very easy to come and, for example, genetically modify some cells, you know, and it's not easy. Yeah, it yeah. takes, you know, it's, it's expensive. It takes many months, etc. And they think, you know, doing a drawing, it's easy. You know, doing and making a computational drawing takes months and months and months, you know, and mm-hmm. you need to study five years in order to do that. <laughs> so, you know, people think it's very easy to do 3D modeling and to do beautiful renders yeah. and to make 3D prints. I mean, it takes ages to do 3D prints. They don't understand how hard it is. Yeah. I mean, I was doing a 3D print last week that took three days to print, for example. Yeah. People think it's not possible. But yeah, it took me three days to actually print this, mo- this uh, mold. You know, mm-hmm. so it's really about understanding how difficult it is to grow things, how difficult it is to make beautiful things. It's also very difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. I think this is this is interesting. I think and the, the this relationship you were just talking about. How do you see the the role of design and the role of science, and maybe the the different contributions they both put in? I think they are equally important because sometimes the designers are not thinking about something that science can can do, yeah. you know, and they can can really help to solve a particular design problem. And so I think it's really fifty fifty collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I think the designer designers are very good at 
thinking outside the box, at looking at the bigger picture, at uh, communicating ideas and, and possibilities. And I think you can only evolve by building scenarios. And I think scientists are not very good at that. Architect, mm -hmm. uh, well, designers, they have these amazing skills of visualization, of communication of ideas, of materializing possibilities that I think scientists are not able to. So I think, you know, I really believe that, you know, designers mm -hmm. are very good at that. But at the same time, they really need science in order to make these dreams possible, you know, make mm -hmm, these absolutely. ideas and visions and visions possible. Mm -hmm. So it's really collaborative. It's a collaborative effort. Mm -hmm. It's maybe comparable to working with an engineer in a way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. How do you see biodesign evolving, or the role of design in the in the aspect of sustainability? The ultimate impact designers can have um, going forward. So uh, I think I think it will be an area of uh, more and more investment. There's going to be a lot of um, industry uh, companies investing in in bio bio products bio design biotechnology there is a lot of money in biotechnology but if they are all in the medical and pharmaceutical uh, side a uh, field mm -hmm. so i think there is a lot of interest for big companies big corporations to invest in sustainable products so i think that alone will really push for the for the industry because you, you need investment in order to To work in this area, you need to create, you know, labs, you need to really work with biologists and scientists. So I think there is this side that will create more opportunities. There is a lot of companies, I don't want to mention brands, but there is a lot of companies in fashion, uh, in shoe, I mean, shoes, the sports industry that are really, they really want to invest in this. Um, but also big other companies that are making furniture and making architecture, you know, in the industry of construction, which is a very traditional conservative industry still. I mean, we are still building with concrete most of the time. I mean, so it, it will take some time in order to change this. But I, that's why I think it's easier for fashion and product design to implement these things in a much quicker way. But I really mm -hmm. believe that, I mean, the generation itself, I mean, will will demand uh, that we actually protect the environment, but not also the environment protect human health. So I think all these issues towards pollution, it's a very serious thing. I mean, there is data now that really proves that people are dying uh, and, uh, of, of air pollution around the world in children, in children's he health, asthma, etc. So I think... I think it's something that will will be an urgent matter for all these politicians to actually reinforce legislation around mm -hmm. industry. Uh, you see, I mean, single-use plastic is being banned in, in different parts of the world, even in the U.S., mm -hmm. which is a country that you know is well behind in terms of environmental policy, is well behind Europe. But even in the U.S., they are starting to implement these this legislation and it has to be mandatory. It has to become, it has to become, it has to come from top, mm -hmm. from the top in order to make this happen. Mm -hmm. So I really believe that it's, it's, it's something that unfortunately it's coming from environmental crisis, I believe. Mm -hmm.
if you think about maybe uh, Dieter Rams 10 oh, yeah. principles of good design I would be super interested in how these 10 principles for example would evolve based on on your perspective you were just mentioning uh, human health making products circular so uh, I'm, I'm sure you don't have it on hand <laughs> you don't have it ready <laughs> but uh, I would be very interested in that perspective that's a good challenge Sebastian that's a good challenge but you know that But you know that the circular guidelines uh, towards uh, sustainable design had just came out. So there was these guidelines that Nike wrote with the mm -hmm. help of Central St. Martin's staff and students. So it's available online. You can download it. And there's this, uh, I think, I don't know if it's 10 principles, but they definitely uh, uh, identified guidelines towards sustainable design. So this has already actually been done very recently. Mm. It was like last week that Nike mm -hmm. published this, uh, it's called yeah, guidelines, I saw it. yeah, mm -hmm. guidelines towards sustainability, which is like recycling, mm -hmm. circular. So, I mean, it's kind of like this um, basic but fundamental Uh, principles of how to design sustain in a sustainable fashion. Mm -hmm. So I would say really, I mean, the biggest one for me, it's always energy. I think energy is a very important um, kind of notion. If you start thinking about how to save energy, you know, how mm -hmm. do you start not using, um, if you start, if you start looking at how materials are produced, and if you really start mm -hmm. understanding the amount of energy you need, It's quite amazing. If you think about ceramics, for example, it's so unsustainable. I mean, ceramics, mm -hmm. people think it's amazing. I love ceramics. I really do that. love ceramics mm -hmm. and I've done ceramics in the past. But if you think of the amount of energy you need to fire ceramics, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It's quite amazing. You know? yeah. Amazing the negative impact in terms of energy that you mm -hmm. need to actually yeah. you know, fire ceramics. Yeah, absolutely. You were mentioning you were traveling a lot when I'm traveling. And if I'm in a new country, even like you're already seeing it when you're on the airplane, uh, depending on how the food is packaged, tra oh, traveling yeah. to some countries and with certain airlines, much more plastics, things um, uh, they have much more waste versus yes. going to other countries. I think this is also very so. interesting. I mean, uh, yeah, the, awareness is, the awareness is very different. I agree with you. I mean, waste is something that really, I mean, I'm fascinated by the fact that we create, I'm fascinated by the fact that people, I think people are very aware of waste because it's something that it's a very daily kind of, like, like you said, it's a kind of a behavioral kind of thing. People have to recycle and people are very aware about the, the amount of waste we accumulate in cities and landfills. So yeah, waste is something that it's, it's something actually very fundamental in terms of sustainable design. Yeah. There was a quote recently I was reading that the problem is not uh, that we have plastic, that we use plastic. The problem is what we are doing with it and how we're treating it. And that we are actually not, not recycling it. And uh, I think then it, it you know, comes down to um, design also, right? How do you uh, find the right applications? Right? Yeah, thank you so much, Nancy. I think this was super interesting. Thank you, Sebastian. Yeah, if you have at some point your 10 principles about good design from, a, from, from that perspective, let me know, then we can make a, a new episode on that. Yes, actually, you could come to Central St. Martin and visit us once we get the final shows and reviews. If you are mm -hmm. in London, I mean, anytime you are in London, you are welcome. I think you would like to come to the school and see the work, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I will jump by if next time I'm, I'm there. 
Yeah. So thank you, thank you so much, thank Nancy. Thank you very much for having me and inviting me. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website.